Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and also at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music you hear on the show. And a little bit of that purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button where you can securely, via PayPal, give money to the show, which, of course, is not, you know, some entity in and of itself. You're effectively giving money to me. Uh, this show is uh, a labor of love and a money-losing proposition, and so if you would like to help offset the costs of bringing you these interviews, I would like to take your money. It's really as simple as that. I'm very happy uh, to have my guest on the show today. Uh, he is Matt White from the band Fight the Big Bull. And uh, this is just one of those occasions where a CD comes uh, unsolicited into the mailbox. Uh, you stick it in the stereo and uh, fall in love. And that's how I felt about this record. And uh, I'm very, very excited to hear that this kind of music is being produced in Richmond, Virginia, which uh, I was totally unaware of. And, uh, you know, like like many people with a, a fairly narrow, I'm sure, geographically chauvinist view of where music happens it's always great to be uh, slapped in the head and reminded that incredible music is happening in all kinds of places uh, that don't have the uh, the media market drawing power of some of the big cities so uh, let's just kick right off with um, the opening track from this record it's called Mobile Tigers
My guest is Matt White, plays the guitar and uh, writes uh, some of the music for a band called Fight the Big Bull, and they've got a new record out called All is Gladness in the Kingdom, and uh, it's really, really fantastic, and it's my pleasure to welcome Matt to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. There are uh, there are some people who get booked on this show because, you know, I get sent a record and a promoter contacts me and so on and so forth, and then there are some that I already know, and then there are some where... I put the CD in the CD player, and you know, before the first track is finished, I'm looking up contact information, and that was the case um, in the case of uh, this record, where from about the first two minutes, I knew this was someone I, I needed to talk to, and I don't know how I had missed "Dying Is Easy," um, but it had completely escaped me, and so this was a real revelation for me. This record, and so I thought maybe, maybe if if there are other folks um, who this band has escaped, you could start off just a little bit by talking about. Uh, the the origins of Fight the Big Bull and and where you guys are based. Yeah, well, um, we are a nine piece, I guess, smaller big band or small large ensemble. Um, we're based out of Richmond, Virginia, which um, has probably something to do a little bit with our anonymity right at this point. Um, and we kind of started about four years ago, and uh, I, I just I decided to put together, you know, a group with a handful of horns and a rhythm section and started writing tunes and um that first record dying will be easy was kind of a demo that um kind of came about it was just recording some some compositions i'd written and then i i have this and we'll probably get into this more but i had a relationship with stephen bernstein kind of a i would go up there and he he would he would kind of teach me some stuff and i played that for him and and he was really responsive to that and kind of you know, gave a big thumbs up to what I was doing. And, and I also, I, I booked a lot of kind of jazz shows down in this area and had, you know, come in contact with Kim Vandermark. And I sent him a copy, and he, he was also the same way, very energetic about the record. And so I began to send it out to uh, some people, and Clean Feed kind of picked it up, and so they put it out and um, put that one out. And and then, you know, I you know, kind of had the opportunity to work with Steven and brought him down here and, uh, did this record with him that came out a week ago, I guess. Now, I want to ask you more about Stephen, but I, I guess first I want to ask, um, and I'm sure this is some geographic chauvinism on my part, but I don't know anything about the Richmond, Virginia scene at all. And to me, it's amazing when anyone anywhere can keep a large ensemble together for four, or even a small large ensemble together for four years. Did that seem right from the beginning? Like it was a crazy thing to do? Is it the kind of thing that happens all the time in Richmond? What What is it like there? Well, it's a, it's a really really unique scene here right right now, and uh, we're most of the most of us are graduates or have been associated with Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University's jazz program, which um, kind of has a almost a similar history to the band, band in a way. I mean, it's a the program that has put out a lot more kind of people that that are active members of the, in the jazz community right now than you might ever think. Uh, would have come from here, but there, there's kind of a, a strong history of of a really good jazz program here, and we all kind of came here to to do that. And, and I think my generation of students uh, kind of made a more active decision to stay in Richmond and not do the kind of move to New York thing. Um, and so there's a group of us. There's another band, Glows in the Dark, that has kind of been making a few waves here recently and uh there's a big brass band that's awesome and it's a really really strong community of, of jazz musicians that are kind of 
at this point, gaining a little bit of momentum and kind of, you know, poking our head out a little bit and trying to, you know, say something about where we're from and, and what, you know, what we're doing. Uh, so, you know, it, it is, I think it's a lot, it's a lot stranger to, um, kind of the outside looking in and, and seeing like, man, that's crazy, you know, what's going on in Richmond. But for us, you know, it's, it, it wasn't so unnatural. There, there was a, a band called the Devil's Workshop Big Band that is now defunct, but that was a band that was a, you know, a, a full size 17 piece and larger big band that had like a regular gig for years before we ever came about. Um, and so there's kind of been a, even though, you know, Richmond doesn't really have a connection with the industry, like a lot of even smaller towns have. So it's kind of a little bit more sectioned off, but now the fight the people has kind of gotten a little bit of attention and you know we're on a label that people recognize and stuff like that it, it seems like the whole thing's just gaining, gaining a little bit more men, momentum and um, so you know like I said it, it seems a little bit strange from the, from the outside looking in but it, it, it hasn't it's been a very organic process from where I'm looking I know, well, I don't know what the verb you're supposed to use is. It's not no, but I, I know of the existence of um, Dean from RVA Jazz. Um, I know you know as well, and um, want to direct folks to uh, a commentary track for this entire album, uh, and it'll be yeah. linked in the show notes, which is really great. But, uh, but you know, Dean uh, tweets a lot about the things that are happening in Richmond, and uh, that in and of itself has really surprised me as I've kind of watched over the last year or however long it's been that I've that I've known that he was around. It just seems, yeah. as you describe it, like a scene where a lot of things are happening kind of without like this enormous uh, kind of institutional industry um, infrastructure. It's just happening because you guys are making it happen. Yeah, that's that's totally true. You know, when when I got here, when I first came to, to school here, it, it wasn't really like that. And the Richmond scene has gone through waves even before... I came or, you know, anything like that where people have been more active in kind of the creative community and then less active. But when I came originally in 2004, three or whenever that was, there wasn't a lot, lot going on. And, and like I said, 
the guys that I went to school with, um, there was an organization called Patchwork Collective that that I helped found with two other guys, Scott Burton, who who um, runs Glows in the Dark, and another guy, and and we began to kind of actively promote uh, original music and would put on these shows and get an audience for um, music that people were writing and, and just kind of uh, curating these events that. Um, you know, I guess would normally happen. Try to create an audience for that, and uh, I think I think that helped things. That definitely helped things from my perspective. As you know, seeing seeing that there was an audience here, and that you could kind of put together a band or put together together a unique performance or something like that, and people would respond. And out of that, I mean, Fight the Big was founded out of the fact that Patchwork Collective was providing performance opportunities for new music and. That, those were the first couple shows we played. Since then, we have a steady gig where we play every other week, and that's been amazing. But, but for me, Patrick Collective kind of showed that there was an audience here, and um, that people would respond. Would respond, and, and and if you wanted to kind of take the bull by the horns and do your own thing, then there was an audience here to do that. And like I said, there's been a handful of ensembles that kind of come around since then and we're all about the same age and and uh we're around kind of the same place in school um and it, it is very active it's a very vibrant scene there's you know a lot of people that are that are really you know doing their best to kind of make their own make their own music As I mentioned, when I was first listening to this record, I mean, right from the first track, I knew it was something I wanted to know more about. And I never read the track titles or anything about the record on the first time I just listened to it. And when it got to uh, when it got to the fourth track, I knew I was okay because um, if I were ever dropped on that desert island, they always ask about. Absolutely, I would have to have the music of the band with me, which is probably my favorite band of all time. And so when this record got to <laughs> Jemima Surrender, which is, first of all, an incredible arrangement of what was already a really, really good tune, then I knew I was on safe ground. And so maybe we can use that as our as our entree to talk about Stephen, um, sure. who arranged that. And can you talk a little bit about, uh, you already mentioned how you sent the record to him, and um, it, it sounds like a relationship has developed uh, in recent years. Can you talk a little bit about that about that relationship? Yeah. Yeah, well, Stephen was when I was in school. Stephen was my favorite, just my favorite jazz musician that I was listening to, you know. And and he kind of had to me this special thing where he was, you know, obviously had a craft that he was developing. He also had an incredibly original voice, and he had like a, a unique, unique way of taking, you know, the music that he loved that was 
you know, not jazz music and kind of um, tweaking it and working with it in, in his kind of unique style. And um, just all those things really kind of drew me to him. And, and when I graduated, it was like in January after I graduated in December, I sent an email to, sent a couple of emails. I was trying to track him down and he, he responded um, and would just like call me in his email and gave me his number. And I mean, I was, Kind of, you know, I was young, a kid at that point, and that was a huge deal to me to have, you know, this guy that I was, you know, totally looked up to, like in a, you know, just as a amazing musician, you know, send his phone number over the internet, and so I called him, and we talked for about thirty minutes about, you know, arranging and, and what I did and where I was from and that whole scene, and I asked him if I could come up and do a lesson with him, and he said yeah, and so. Uh, you know, probably a month later or something, I, I went up to Nyack and spent, you know, what was supposed to be an hour lesson ended up, I think we hung out from about one to eight or something like that. It was like seven, seven or eight hours, like the entire afternoon and evening, you know, he made me dinner and we just hung out and listened to records. And it was, you know, from my point of view, it was like the best day of my life. And, and, uh, <laughs> It was just, it was a life-changing experience, really, to, to have someone kind of take me under their wing a little bit and, and you know, kind of share with me how his process. And, and more than anything, we just listened to records. And I think I think that's kind of where we hit it off the most, is we do have a very similar aesthetic and, and kind of where we're coming from. And, um, and, and, you know, the first thing he played, played for me was uh, the band's Rock of Ages record, which has all these Alan Toussaint arrangements on it. And uh, it, it kind of, you know, explained to me, talking about the band, and I was a huge fan of the band, but I, I hadn't heard much about Alan Toussaint or, or wasn't familiar with him. And that kind of sent me down a whole, like, New Orleans path. And um, so since then, we kind of, you know, stayed in touch. And I, I would go up every, I don't know, probably a couple times a year and kind of do the same thing. And, and then when we were looking to do the second record, uh, I just kind of approached him to see if he'd be interested in coming down, and he was more than willing and kind of worked it out, um, all the details, and, and had an awesome time recording the record. From listening to uh, the commentary track that you recorded um, with Dean, it sounds like this was very different than like a fly-in, two hours in the studio, fly-out thing. It sounded much more organic than that. Can you talk about what it was like having Stephen there? Yeah, well, I kind of approached him and said, man, do you, do you want to come down and and do that kind of fly-in, fly-out thing, or do you want to stay here a longer time and kind of I'll get you as much work as I possibly can? And uh, and he kind of suggested that maybe we would try to do a longer time. And and through, like I said, when I was working with Patchwork Collective and booking that, I'd, I'd had some done a lot of things with bringing artists in and putting together workshops and putting together shows and that kind of thing and so he was here for 10 days and we did a, almost a workshop every day and he did some private lessons and we rehearsed every night and uh, just did a, a, I think three different concerts with us and and uh, so you know we, we, we got to spend a fair amount of time together not, not only me and him but the, the band and him and kind of getting the music together and even in the studio we had I think it was six days booked, maybe five, but but five full days in the studio, which is, you know, a lot of time for, for I think for what he was used to. And and 
that's one of the great things about living down here is that studio time is cheaper and all these things, you know, a lot of those practical things kind of play into helping us be able to make records. Yeah, I think five days is about four and a half days longer than most people get yeah. in the studio <laughs> yeah, for exactly. records. So, so that, that was fun, you know, and there's a whole treasure trove of material. I mean, that there's nine songs in the record, I think, and I think we recorded about 20. So there, there's a lot of material that didn't get put on that record um, for, you know, so that you know, it was a good time. It definitely was a bigger experience, and he kind of really plugged himself in the community. You know, he was walking around and hanging out with people and doing lessons and jamming with people. And you know, it was a it's a it's a small enough community here that when someone like that is around and and being how Stephen is is so so open and so outgoing and you know so easy to love. Um, like he really, I think, struck a chord with the community. And in a you know kind of a deeper way, and and I think that was special for him and for us to have someone like him kind of come down and and uh, spend that kind of time. Um, can you talk about the where the name of your band came from? Yeah, well, originally it was there was a trio um, called Fight the Bull that was me and Brian Hooten, the trombone player, and Princess Chantel, the drummer, and we were that is a Picasso painting, the name Fight the Bull, and that's of no particular note except that I was love Picasso and was kind of flipping through the book trying to figure out a good name for the band, and then. The, uh, when we decided to kind of expand that into a larger ensemble, then it became quite the big bull. 
after uh, I had listened to this the first time and, and then started you know reading the song titles and that kind of thing, I, another coincidence uh, struck me in addition to the thing about the band, which is that I had just finished reading the big biography of Satchel Paige that came out, I think, at the end of oh, last yeah. year. And so, you know, the very first tune references one of his teams, and then there's a tune actually called Satchel Paige. Um, sure. How did that happen? Um, well, the Satchel I'm I'm like a, just a huge sports nerd, which is rare, I think, in the jazz community, maybe. Is, anyway, for whatever reason, I, I kind of grew up as a, just a love, love sports, and um, I don't know, I just kind of always liked Satchel Paige, the guy, and like kind of fascinated by his career, and it's a really unique individual, and his name, it sounds cool, he just has a cool sounding name, and, and uh, when I was, actually, it came about because so I, I named that one tune, the tag on Eddie and Cameron Strike Back that a long time ago. That's, a, that's actually a pretty old composition. And and then I, I was actually, um, so I have all these kind of fake names for tunes that are t- terrible names for songs, but I, I just name them that spur of the moment to kind of give them a name. And so when the record's done, I kind of, you know, look for better names um, that will look better on the back of a record. And I was... I was reading Satchel Paige's Wikipedia article and saw that that minor league name. I just thought it was a really cool. It just sounded cool to me because it's kind of a. We should mention know, the name is Mobile Tigers. That's the. Oh yeah, Mobile the Tigers, right? Yeah. So it, it, it sounded cool because it's kind of, you know it can have a few, few meanings, and uh, and also, and I liked that you know I liked that there was a tie-in with with Satchel Paige later in the record, and I had also there's nine tunes and I had ordered. I had done the track listing based on a baseball batting lineup and kind of said to myself where what was organized in groups of nine and that was the first thing that came to mind and so I've kind of you know gone over the roles of each batting position and like tried to fill it in with the song that fit that the best and so I just liked that there was a little bit of a baseball theme there. And I, I heard you say that that's why Jemima Surrender is in the number four hole, right? Because that's the cleanup yeah. spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Um, can you talk? Uh, it seems like I've been talking to a lot of people recently um, from John Hollenbeck and Darcy James Argue and other folks who have, you know, kind of large ensembles of varying sizes about the way you lead a band like that and about, you know, how you kind of walk the line between authoritarianism and collectivism and that kind of thing. And so I'm wondering in the case of Fight the Big Bull, how it how it works. How does the band actually operate as a unit? Um, 
It's a good question. Uh, well, it's, I don't, you know, I don't really think about that too much. I don't know, maybe I do, but I mean, we, it's, a lot of it's real practical, you know, like, um, I think we were able to, you know, originally we kind of came together and we, I got, I, I got everyone to play these first two Patrick Collective shows and, and in Richmond, it, there's only so many musicians and so it always works kind of, well, if you're, <laughs> if your band's good and you have good opportunities, then, then people will kind of start to make it a priority. But if you kind of start a band and, you know, you're not playing cool shows or, you, you know, just things aren't, are a little bit stagnant, musicians will make that less of a priority, which is absolutely how I operate and just kind of, I think, how the world works a little bit, at least around here. And so, you know, it wasn't until I got the steady gig at this place called Couscous, and now we play this place called Balso, that, you know, we're playing every other Wednesday. Um, and that's really been uh, <clears throat> a place where we've been able to stretch and grow. And, and I can I can ask people to be somewhere every two weeks. You know, there's money involved, and that that's that's something that really got everyone on the same page. Before that, it was impossible to get everyone in the same room. It was very difficult. And even now, we we rarely rehearse. You know, we we play the the gig, and when we have a recording session come up, generally how it works is we'll schedule, you know, a handful of rehearsals, and then do the recording session. So. You know, it's it's um, it's very pragmatic. You know, if if things are working and and there's good gigs and there's good opportunities, it makes it really a lot easier to have a band. And if that isn't happening, then it's a lot significantly more difficult. So as as the opportunities have kind of come, and and I think as you know, when Dying Will Be Easy got released and that, that got some great press and. You know, the thing with Steven happened, and then we have another record coming out in the month that was a great opportunity. And, and it's easy to get people on board when when uh, it's just fun. You know, that week with Steven was, was awesome. It was so much fun for all of us. I think that, that kind of made it a little bit easier to get get things together. That said, there's not, you know, when you have a nine-person band, it's money it's, it's really thin. You know, you have to get paid a lot of money for everyone to get paid any sort of respectable amount. So that's hard, you know, that's hard for, for the, you know, for people to be, that have been in this band for a while. And, you know, I think that's a sacrifice that, that everyone's made. And it, it's, it's stressful, for, you know, for me to, you know, like I, I would love to be providing more kind of money opportunities for people, but that's really tough. It was when you're living in, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're living, you know, running a nine-piece kind of free jazz-esque jazz band. It's it's hard. That that can be really challenging. But as the opportunities kind of come up, that's kind of what I guess we, we you know, we're, we're based around is, is just having some great opportunities to play and, and uh, hopefully that over the and as we build a resume, and, and, and it has to some degree, like, it, you know, it kind of snowballs and you get better calls and better gig offers, like, outside of Richmond and things that started to kind of, you know, it's, we have some cool stuff coming up. So, I don't know, that's kind of, does that make sense at all? I think it does. <laughs> 
The, uh, you just mentioned, uh, glancingly, another record, which is uh, with David Carson Daniels. We talk about um, who that is and, and about the record. Yeah. Yeah, David Carson Daniels is, I guess, a singer-songwriter kind of guy, but he, he lived in, in the Durham-Chapel Hill area, and we kind of ran into each other a few times. He moved out west, and he, um, I think the story is, is he heard the, the Dime Will Be Easy um, record was was on Fresh Air, was reviewed on Fresh Air, and he he heard that and kind of, you know, realized that he knew me. Um, he knew me through this uh, another kind of like rock and roll band, and uh, kind of got in touch and suggested that we work together. And and uh, he had this group of songs that he had written. He had written all of the Henry David Thoreau poems, and that was kind of what we were going off of. And then the J- he, he had sent me some demos, and then I, I kind of charted everything out and wrote. The, the whole thing with the records is kind of half the singer-songwriter record and half, you know, a Fight the Big Bull album. And um, it, we weren't just kind of like a backing band or, or something like that. It was, you know, we were kind of exerting our voice alongside his. And so he came out in January, and we did... Uh, we did another kind of thing where he was here 10 days we rehearsed and then we were in the studio for three days and uh that's coming out on fat cat records which is you know an entirely indie rock kind of label so that should be interesting see how that kind of resonates with that audience um for that i think that comes out june 21st so that was a, that was a really unique and ex- pretty exciting experience as well you know totally different than working with steven david and steven are you know, totally different people and vastly different kind of spectrums of the musical world. And uh, it was great. It was, it was just another great opportunity for the band to kind of share our voice with the rest of the world. My guest is uh, Matt White. He's a guitarist and composer and uh, behind the band Fight the Big Bull. Their new album on Clean Feed is called All is Gladness in the Kingdom. And uh, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It's, it's really worth your time. Matt, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I uh, wish you and the band continued success and uh, hope you'll come back on the show again uh, for the next record. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
That's music from Fight the Big Bull and the album All is Gladness in the Kingdom on Clean Feed Records. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music you hear on the show, and you'll be supporting the Jazz Session at the same time. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to give me some money to uh, say thank you or to say please stop if you give me enough money. Uh, then I would be happy to take it. And in the latter case, you know, it will have to be a, a significant amount of money. But uh, you could certainly find a figure that would uh, that would entice me to never do another one of these. And if you want to uh, email me privately, we can help set that number. I think in one of those classic Hollywood scenes where uh, we'll meet in a diner somewhere and I'll write a number on a napkin and I'll just pass it across to you and you will either take a suitcase from the bench next to you and, and hand me that amount of money or just get up, and then the jazz session will continue. That sounds fun. So let's do that. Somebody listening to the sound of my voice right now has enough money to make this Hollywood scene happen, so let's meet someplace. You pick the town. You'll just have to fly me there. That's the only, that's the only catch, unless it's Albany or Schenectady, which I don't think is a common place for films like that, but... Uh, but why not? Let's be trendsetters. If Angelina Jolie, for God's sake, can film a movie on 787 right near where I'm sitting, we can certainly film the end of the jazz session in Schenectady. So that's that. Uh, the Respect Sextet recorded the music for this show, a fact I'm sure they're regretting after that little monologue, and uh, they can be found at respectsextet.com. They've got a new record on the way. Uh, it's quite possible that by the time this show actually airs, it will be here. So in any case, rush to respectsextet.com and see if the record's there. And if it's not yet there, then buy all the other records because uh, they are all wonderful. Dave Rabel designed the show's logo. Thank you very much, Dave. And now I urge you to go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz, assuming there is another conversation, on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.